0: Grace, peace, and mercy to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text is Ephesians and both John, as previously read. Do not walk as the Gentiles. You will often hear people talk of one's walk with God. And this is what Paul was writing to the Gentiles. To the, to the, uh, Ephesians about, as they had been Gentiles in the past, they still were, uh, and they were to discard their old ways. The Gentiles, Paul is speaking about, were pagans. They were people that had no concern for the things of God or His teaching. Their hearts were hardened, and they were unbelievers. As such, they gave themselves over to their base desires— carnal desires of the flesh. They were not walking with God and the Holy Spirit as their guide. Paul's warning was and still is for those who have heard the gospel of Christ and been called to believe. Those that have, not, those that have been given the gift of faith and what they have been taught, they are to live the life that they have been given through faith in Christ and not live and look like pagans. This new life in which they, like us, have come to know Christ did not come through their actions of giving themselves over to their own passions and the greedy practice of every impurity as pagans. It came through the selfless act of Christ and his passion for our salvation. It is Christ that made them new and makes us new. This putting off of the old self takes place in our baptism when we are given a rebirth, a new life is part of the body of Christ. We saw this at the beginning of our service yesterday evening in the baptism of little Hayden Chupé. The rite and visual of baptism as moving as it might be and edifying to our own faith as we, rem- as we remember our own baptism does not have the visual cues to remind one of what baptism really gives as it was seen in the early church. In the early church, people would go down into the water of a font, a font that was often cut into the stone bedrock of the ground in the shape of a cross with steps leading in at the base, going up and coming up at the top or from the side to the side of a cross as, just as Christ's outstretched arms would have been. Before they stepped down, their garments would be removed and they would enter and come out of the water naked i don't imagine we could do that too successfully today but it was a visual image of the drowning death of the old sinful man and the birth of the new man in christ coming up out of the water as they would come up a clean white garment was placed on them signifying the righteousness of christ given to them in their baptism it is a restoration of the image of god that was lost in the garden of eden and a restoration to eternal life. Even in Luther's time, infants would be baptized naked, submerged in a font, and then clothed in white afterwards. Recall the the words in our baptismal liturgy, receive this white garment. It was a white garment, not a small piece of linen, and it signified the rebirth that just took place. When God looks at baptized Christians, he sees Christ's righteousness, His holiness covering all of our sins. So the difficult words of Paul in Ephesians 4.26, do not sin, ring in our ears with some difficulty. I imagine they rang in the ears of prostitutes that Jesus forgave and even dined with, telling them, go and sin no more. As baptized children of God, sinlessness is fully expected by us of our Heavenly Father. Be sinless. What child ever born of a man and a woman, and by the way, that is the only way that happens. A child is born of a man and a woman. That's a whole other topic and probably a whole other series of sermons. But what child could ever live up to their parents' demands to be perfect in everything they do and never do wrong? Talk about creating a need for counseling and therapy. How many of the college freshmen expect themselves to be perfect? How many parents desire for them to be perfect? Straight A's, never screw up academically or socially, never embarrass themselves or you, never break another's heart in a relationship, never be mean or hateful to anyone. After all, we, as parents, have always been perfect. Perfect children, perfect adolescents, college students, perfect on dates when single, and even now, we are perfect spouses. No, we have all fallen short, way short. Short to the point that we would rather not even tell you some of the things we have done even if it might help you learn from our mistakes, we are too embarrassed. We are embarrassed before God, and He's forgiven us. But God, our Heavenly Father, makes no mistakes. But He shows us examples all throughout His Holy Scripture of men and women who have failed and been restored. They've been forgiven. Moses and King David being prime examples. He loves us so much that when we turn to Him with our, with our faith in Christ, He forgives and no longer remembers our sins and sees only His Son in us. I think we sometimes get a glimpse of this in the most tragic events that befall our society. When you see a, the mother or father of someone who has done a most heinous thing interviewed on TV, you can still hear, feel, and see their love for their child in their voice their mannerisms, and their eyes. Their child is part of them, no matter what they have done. We do the most heinous things in the sight of God, and He demands perfection. But we are brought back into a right relationship through faith in Christ and holy baptism. We are once more brothers and sisters of Christ and heirs of His kingdom. Even so, we are not to sin. Thanks be to God that Christ has accomplished that for us and taken the punishment for our sins. He has fulfilled the law. Yet the law has not passed away from us for use as Christians. The law is there for our on- ongoing sanctification. It shows us how we are to live and breathe as Christians. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit in us that we do the will of God. Our old nature The old man, the old Adam, fights with us every day as we remember our baptism and are strengthened. We engage in a spiritual battle that is taking place beyond what we can see. Last night, my wife was watching Lord of the Rings and some other thing, and there's this battle, good and evil. If we could see the battle that goes on between God and the angels and the devil in this world for our souls and for our salvation, we couldn't even bear it. It would be far beyond PG. But it takes place. The, uh, our flesh desires that life of a pagan and all the base and sinful desires. The Holy Spirit in us desires the things of God and for us to act in a godly manner by obeying his commands and putting off the old self. We do this as we continue to put on Christ and be in him during our entire earthly life on this side of creation, only to be fully sanctified upon our resurrection. In our gospel lesson from John, Jesus is trying to explain to the Jews as they are entering the synagogue that he is the one that has come from heaven. He is the bread come down from heaven that gives life. He is telling them that salvation comes through faith in what he will accomplish with the sacrifice of his body on the cross. Verse 54 states, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. They were all hearing this strange teaching before Christ instituted his supper. But they knew the feeding of the 5,000 that had just taken place very recently and his miraculous abilities in that. And they knew the manna that had come from heaven to sustain their ancestors in the wilderness. Their present-day manna, their understanding was that it was the law of Moses that they kept to save them. The new manna would be Christ himself, and it would be the way to salvation. The formula of Concord says about this passage there is a twofold eating of Christ's flesh. One is spiritual, which Christ describes especially in John 54. This eating happens in no other way than with the Spirit and faith in preaching and meditation on the gospel, as well as in the Lord's Supper. Forgiveness, eternal life, and the power to resist all manner of sinfulness rests in Christ alone. In hearing and meditation on his word, devotions alone, or as a family, are good and proper, but being part of the body of Christ, and being part of the body of Christ in the fellowship of a flock of believers is critical. A congregation where Christ is present through the means He has given: word, baptism, the Lord's Supper. Remaining in this Christian faith is not a go-it-alone or solo activity. God wants his people to gather together, to proclaim what he has done, and to give thanks. Acts 2.42 records the fellowship of believers after Pentecost, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, lest you doubt, that was Christ's teaching, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You have been given the gift of being raised in this manner, raised by your parents, true, but also raised through your baptism. Continue in it. Be devoted to it. Do not be like the pagans, seeing no need for the things of God. Don't sin, but at the same time, savor and taste the forgiveness of your loving Father in heaven and feast on the words and sacrament of His Son. Do not walk as the pagans of this world, but walk with faith in Christ and in the hope of eternal life He alone gives. Amen.